0: Heavenly Father, we sing and pray, speak, O Lord, because we need you to come meet with us by the power of your Spirit. We know, Lord, that there are no human words, there's no eloquence, there's no rhetoric that can bring about a gospel transformation in our hearts and in our souls. And yet, simple words met by the power of your Spirit, do bring about such transformation. And that's our prayer for this time, that you would meet with us, Lord, that you would speak to us, O Lord, that you would build your church here in this place for your glory. We ask in the perfect name of your Son, Jesus. Amen. Amen. Please take a seat. We're in the second week then of our series on prayer that we have entitled Prayer 101. And the reason we're doing this series is that we have a a deep desire for ourselves, a deep desire for the church even, not just to know about God, but to know God. Not just to have information, details, facts in our minds. Not just to know about him, but to have a living, active, personal relationship with him. We don't want to be content with knowing about him. We want to know him. And we're hoping that this series on prayer can be at the turning point for many of us. Why? Because it is, it is prayer that serves as the, the gateway into that kind of first-hand knowledge of God. I wonder how your prayer life was this week. Mine was a little up and a little down and a little everywhere in between. You know, if you could sort of observe my prayer life on, on one hand, I, I wouldn't be sort of ashamed for you to do that. It's a thing I care about. It's a thing I seek to practice. But on the other hand, you would not be impressed, right? Uh, Prayer is a thing that we all wrestle with, and so we're wrestling with it as a church, wrestling with it together that we might grow in our knowledge of our great God. Uh, This week, we're going to reflect further on why we should pray uh, from one line in the text that we read, four short words, our Father in heaven. Before doing that, let's remind ourselves of what we said last week. We had three key ideas that we wanted to communicate. And the first of one I said was was the most important point of the entire series. And it was simply that it's essential for us to understand the connection between prayer and the gospel. We've got to understand the connection between these two things, between our prayer lives and the gospel. Why? Because prayer is common in the world religions. It's even common in our culture at large. But Christian prayer, biblical prayer, gospel prayer is fundamentally different to all other kinds of prayer. Why? Because we pray and only pray by the blood of Jesus. We draw near to God and can only draw near to God by the blood of Jesus. Left to ourselves, we would never presume to enter the presence of a holy king. And yet Jesus has, has brought us near. By his blood we have been drawn near so that God hears our prayers and even listens to our prayers as a parent would listen out for the cry of their beloved child. It is the gospel that makes all the difference. Grace changes Everything, And we've got to see that. We've got to see that connection between prayer and the gospel. Secondly, that we said that because of this gospel reality, because prayer is a gospel reality, it is also the duty of every believer. Now we don't get confused. We talk about the gospel and we talk about grace. And we don't think that means that there aren't any duties. The gospel, the fact that we are freely accepted by Christ on the basis of what he has done, not on the basis of what we have done, our favor is secure in him, has implications for our lives. And one of these implications, one of these duties that comes with the gospel life is this duty of prayer. That prayer is not optional in the Christian life. It's not an add-on to the Christian life. It's not even just the the reserve of some holy elites in the Christian life. Rather, it's to be the the natural activity and experience of every believer. It would be very strange. We would think it strange if, if I told you I was married but I never spoke to my wife. And in the same way, it's strange to be a Christian and never speak to your Lord. And so we see this dynamic in the Christian life that if your prayer life is flourishing, odds are your walk with the Lord is flourishing, even if you're going through hard times. Similarly, if your prayer life is struggling, odds are your walk with the Lord is, is struggling, even if things on the outside seem fine. Prayer is the duty of all believers. Thirdly, we said, though, that because of the gospel, prayer is not just a duty. It's also a delight. It's also a delight of all believers. And this is always how gospel duties work. Gospel duties are always delightful. We're never called to a duty that we don't find satisfaction and joy in. Prayer is a delight. We said there are lots of reasons for this. Three in particular. First was that we said prayer is a delight because we actually believe We actually believe that prayer changes things. We actually believe that prayer changes our circumstances. We are those crazy people who believe in this higher power that actually cares about his world and engaged and involved in it. And more than that, that we can speak to him. And when we do and when we make requests of him, things happen that would not have happened had we not prayed. A great example came this week is... um, we have a new worship director who will start leading worship next week, Jeff Vogan. And he'd asked our staff to pray that they would sell their home in, in Orlando so that they could move up here. So our staff got together and we prayed, Lord, help Jeff Vogan sell his house. And we get an email saying, Jeff has a contract in his house. We all say, hey, answer prayer. Thank you, Lord. Then we get another email the next week saying, oh, contract fell through. Okay, We're all like, huh, uh, okay. Praise the Lord, but what are you up to here, God? You know, what's the plan here? Um, Then we get another email that says, ooh, new contract for more money, okay? We're like, yes, the Lord gives. The Lord takes away. The Lord gives again with more money, right? (laughs) Now, you know, uh, we reflect on this idea and we say, is it coincidence? Well, we said, it's amazing how many coincidences begin to happen when one begins to pray." Prayer changes our circumstances. And so it, it's, it's delightful. But not only does prayer change our circumstances, secondly, we said, prayer also changes us. A Prayer shouldn't be thought of as kind of like the Christian magic wand to just dispel any hard thing that you're, you're going through. In fact, very often, we could even say more often than not, the Lord is at work, not by changing the thing we're dealing with, but by changing what's going on in our hearts and in our souls. A prayer grants us a kind of peace. It grants us a kind of power that enables us to not just survive, but even thrive through the circumstances the Lord has given us. So a friend shares this week that he had been disappointed to not get a promotion that he had gone for. And he prayed through his disappointment and really sensed the Lord saying to him, yeah, it's because it's I have you here for a reason for this next season. And so you see his, his outward circumstance didn't change. He still didn't get the promotion. But internally, he's no longer kind of bitter and frustrated about it. He has a sense of rest, even a sense of purpose about this next season. Prayer, yes, changes circumstances, but also it changes us. But then, thirdly, we said, not only does it change circumstances in us, prayer also changes our relationship with God. The single best thing we said about prayer is not what you get, but who you get. The best thing about prayer is not what you get, but, but who you get. If prayer changed nothing, it would still be gloriously worth it because it is the gateway into first-hand knowledge of God. And nothing, nothing compares to that. It's interesting when you speak to people who have gone through some, some really hard times, perhaps in their families, perhaps with cancer, perhaps just one of any, any number of things it might be. And they'll tell you how hard that season was, but how glad they are for, for the way in which they, they grew in their knowledge of God through their prayers in that season. Now, they're not trite about it. They're not superficial about it. They don't, they don't wish to go through that again. They don't wish for other people to go through that again. But they'll say, I wouldn't trade it for what I've received. I wouldn't trade the knowledge of God that I now have for, for an easier experience. And so prayer, gospel reality, that's a duty for the believer, but also a delight for every believer. Today, I want to reflect just a little more, continuing on those themes, to consider two more reasons why we should pray. Two more reasons why we should pray. We'll we'll dive into thinking about how to pray next week, but this week we want to dwell a little longer on, on why we should pray, because for most of us, the problem with prayer isn't one of technique as much as it is one of motivation. It isn't one of technique, it's one of motivation. See, generally, you figure out how to do those things that you want to do. A very simple example comes for me in the whole area of of home improvements. I am the second least practical handy person in the world. Um, I blame my father, who is the least practical, handy person in the world. And so, I mean, change a light bulb, and that's kind of, you know, I'm sort of tapping out. Um, Until, what happened? We bought a home, okay? We move in, my wife uh, hates the light fixtures, for I'm sure a very good reason, okay? And she says, um, (laughs) she says, "Um, can you change the light fixture? And I'm like, what? (laughs) I feel so unknown in this moment, okay? <laughs> and she kind of gives me the look that says, she, she give me the look she's giving me right now, yeah? <laughs> that says, we need to change that life fixture. And so now, I have motivation. Not the life fixture, but the wife, okay? Um, I have motivation, and I figure out, and do you know what? It turns out that's pretty easy, okay? That's really not all that hard to do. My problem wasn't so much one of technique as it was motivation, Uh, You can generally figure out how to do whatever it is you want to do. And so for us this morning, we're not reflecting so much on the mechanics, the technique of prayer, but on, on the gospel motivation and the motivation that Jesus gives us in the opening of this prayer. Our Father in heaven. Our Father in heaven. On one hand, it's very easy to skip over these words, not to dwell on them. You know, when you get an email, you don't focus on the part that says, you know, Dear James, you sort of scan in and and look for where the the real content is, look for where the meat is, but we'd be wrong to skip over this salutation. It's not an empty phrase. It's not just a kind of meaningless intro, a, a way to get into the real prayer. Speaking of our... Father, that familial, warm, relational, endearing term. There was a time where God's people didn't even dare to speak his name upon their lips. Now we speak his name, but more than that, we call him Father. Our Father who is where? Our Father who is in heaven, enthroned in the might and power of heaven itself. The sovereign king who is in control of all. Our Father in heaven. Each of these phrases gives us a reason to pray. Number one, our Father, we should pray because we have a Father who is ready to help us. We should pray because God cares. That's point one, God cares. We should pray because we have a father who is, who is ready to help us. Now, I don't know where you are this morning because I don't know the, the details of, of your story and your experiences with, with your own father. But for many of us, this term father doesn't have the kind of positive connotations that scripture would wish it to have. And that's been an experience in in our own family as well. My uh, wife's parents divorced when she was just 12 years old, one of those definitionally messy divorces. Uh, It's actually what the Lord used to to bring her up uh, to Scotland. In the 20-some years that have passed since then, I think she's seen him once and exchanged maybe two letters. And so this notion of father is not necessarily the kind of warmest, fuzziest, happy feeling to, to many of us. And you know, even if you had a good dad, even if you have positive feeling about your dad, you know, no human father is perfect. And parents, we all know this, because we, um, we screw our kids up without even meaning to. Right? That was sort of emphasized to me recently, um, where I've, I was left thinking, like, what am I doing to this child, that she would say this to me? Um, because we had daddy-daughter dance, okay? So much fun. Okay, great fun. Uh, I say to my daughter on the morning of of that dance, hey, what do you want me to wear tonight? Okay? And she very quickly said two things, Dad. Two things. Number one, you must not wear your house slippers. Okay? (laughs) And then number two, you must wear pants. Okay? (laughs) And I'm thinking, like, what have I done to this child that she's worried I'm going to show up with my slippers and no pants on? You know, like... (laughs) raising this child I mean, he's just kinda, you're reminded parents are we not kind of quick side here here um, we will screw our children up okay? and by God's grace they will be okay don't burden yourself with notions of, of perfection whether you had a, a terrible father or a great father or a dad who's just struggling to to do his best, the reality is that for us this term father doesn't have the full positive connotation that it should have for us when we think of our heavenly father. Because our heavenly father is not like our earthly fathers. Our heavenly father is perfect and he cares for his children. He is ready, willing, eager to help them. I love the illustration Jesus gives us of this. Click over one page. Matthew chapter 7, verse 9, where Jesus with, with a kind of sense of humor at play says, which one of you, if his son asks for bread, which one of you, if his son asks for bread, will give him a stone? I mean, what, what, what a strange picture and what an interesting picture for Jesus to dream up. Your child's outside running, playing, whooping, delighting, comes in and asks for a sandwich. Who's going to give their kid? Um, a stone instead of some bread. Or he says, if he asks for a fish, we'll give him a serpent. Look then though, verse verse 10, uh, verse 11. If you then, who are what? If you who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children. See the word there? How much more? Will your father who is in heaven Give good gifts to those who ask. Isn't that a beautiful picture? He's saying, we understand the nature of love. We understand something of the nature of care and concern for each other. And you love your children. And if they ask for something, you'll do your best to to give it to them. Even though you're evil. Even though there's a depravity in us. Even though there's something hellish in the heart of humanity. Even so, we will seek to do good to our children. So, how much more? How much infinitely more will the perfect Father in heaven seek to give good gifts to us, his children? He's saying, don't, don't doubt God's care for you. Don't doubt his affection for you. Don't doubt his, his love for you. And I think there's a sense in which, and I don't mean this to sort of induce guilt, but there's a sense in which our approach to the Lord must sometimes sort of break his heart, so to speak. I mean, how, how would I feel if one of my children came to me and said, Father, please, please, please! I beseech thee, I beg thee, I plead of thee to listen to my humble request. Right? What would I say? I mean, first I'd say, "Who taught this kid to speak in old English?" That was weird, right? But second, I'd say, "Like, whoa, 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 whoa! What, what, what was that about? Why are you approaching me with this sort of tone of fear, with this tone of trepidation? Like, do you not, do you not know, you are my beloved son, and with you I am well pleased." Uh, you can just come to, come to me. Come running to me. Uh, like you came running when you, you know, skinned your knee as a child because you knew that I would care for you. You can come running now. Uh, we don't need to go through that kind of strange distanced formality. And so it is with God. Do you believe this morning that you don't need to pester your way into the presence of God? Do you believe this morning that you don't need to tiptoe in hoping that he'll give you a moment of his time? Believer saved by Jesus' grace, do you believe this morning that God's not grumpy with you? That he loves you and he likes you? Do you believe that you are in his family, invited into his presence, that you matter to him, that he's proved how much you matter at the cross? So that when you say, Father, his head turns and he loves to hear your voice. Do you believe this morning that, point one, God cares? You have a father who is ready to help you and so you should go to him in prayer. Point two, not only do we have a God who cares, but we also have a God who is capable we have a father, but this father is in heaven. He is capable, and we should pray because we have a father who is able to help us. And so we see that the desire to help, the fact that you care, has to be matched by the ability to help. If there's the desire but no ability, then it, then it doesn't do you a whole lot of good. Um, sort of embarrassing admission here. Uh, my daughter is in eighth grade, and she comes to me with her geometry homework, and I'm like, <laughs> you know, Sweetheart, I would love to help you. But at the ripe old age of 13, you have surpassed my mathematical ability. Okay? I desire, I have no ability. Um, I care, but I'm incapable. Right? The desire to help must be matched by the ability to help if it's to do us good. And that's our Father in heaven. He's in heaven, enthroned in, in might, in power. He's the sovereign king in control of all. He stands capable to help us. It's not just that he he cares. He's not just ready, willing, eager to help. It's that he's he's capable. He's able, sufficient, strong to help us. And the Bible presents this in a a gloriously logical way. Gloriously logical way. First of all, it just makes very clear again and again and again and again and again that God is omnipotent, meaning God is all-powerful. And that is just a given throughout the pages of Scripture. We read that he's uh, powerful over the universe at large, powerful over the physical world, powerful over every creature within his physical world, that he's powerful over the affairs of, of nations, powerful over our birth and even our lot in life. He's powerful over our successes and our failures. He's powerful over even those things that seem accidental or incidental. He's even powerful over uh, wickedness and all things that are evil, that there is absolutely nothing in heaven, on earth, or under the earth, over which Jesus Christ does not have authority. It says, all-powerful. And then secondly, it says, he's also immutable, which means he doesn't change. He's all-powerful, and he doesn't change. And so Malachi 3.6 will say, I, the Lord, do not change. And Hebrews 13, verse 8 will say, Jesus Christ, the same when? yesterday and today and forever so all powerful and unchanging so when you read the scriptures he was capable but that God is still capable and always will be capable (laughs) I remember the first time I wrestled with my dad and got the upper hand we never wrestled again (laughs) he was getting older I was getting bigger and you know the same thing is going to happen to me, right? The same thing is not going to happen to God. He's not getting old. He's not getting tired. He's not getting weary. He's not getting weak. He's not taking a knee. He's not trying to catch his breath. He's capable. And capable of answering any request that you would make of him. Dream up your most outlandish thing. What, what's the most unlikely request and God is capable of answering it why? because nothing is impossible with God now someone might ask okay sure how come then if he's capable he doesn't answer all my requests the way I've prayed them and we're going to talk about that more in future weeks and get into the weeds of, of that the simple answer for today is because of point one he's capable but he also cares and what parent gives their child everything they ask for, the way they ask for it? You know, Why don't you let them eat the whole tub of ice cream? Because it's not good for them. So God's care and his, his, his capability means that he will, um, he's, he's able to answer any request we give of him, and he will answer every request we give of him in the way that's best for us. We marry these two ideas and are able to trust him. And so a key verse becomes a verse like Romans eight thirty two. He who did not spare his own son, but willingly gave, us, gave him up for us all, how will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? Again, you see the flow of that? If God was prepared to give you his son, if God loved you enough and treasured you enough or and prized you enough to send Jesus to die so that you might be brought back into a relationship with him. If that's the price he's prepared to pay, do you not think he's going to give you the smaller things as well? If he's prepared to give you a million dollars, do you not think he'll give you a pencil? If you can trust him with eternity, can you not trust him with the time? God is capable. We have a father who is able to help us, so we should go to him in prayer. He cares and he's capable, he's ready, and he's able. And so we pray. As we close, I just want to just challenge you with the the thought that very often the difference between someone who prays a lot and someone who prays a little is simply the depth with which they believe these two truths. The depth with which they believe these two points, that he cares and that he's capable. Last week, I challenged everyone in our congregation to pray for five more minutes a day than they would normally pray. And we accepted, and we're okay with the fact that that meant some people were going to start praying for five minutes. This week, add 60 seconds, okay? 60 more seconds. And pray that God would help you believe that he cares and that he's capable. I'm sure that as we follow the basics of prayer 101, It can be a turning point for many of us. And that as we do so, as we lean into prayer, we will be ushered into the kind of first-hand knowledge of God that alone can can satisfy our souls. Let's pray together just now. Heavenly Father, we recognize that, that prayer is a a gospel reality that we are only able to approach you because of the blood of Jesus that we've been brought near by the blood of Jesus that by ourselves we wouldn't approach you but by him we're welcomed as children and so we embrace it as a duty and we celebrate it as a delight you change our circumstances you change us you deepen our walk with you and Lord I pray that you would um, motivate us to pray by assuring us of your care and your capability of giving us a a deeper belief in the fact that you stand ready and able to help us. Lord, we believe, but would you help our unbelief? Lord, we long to be a people of prayer. We long to be a church of prayer. Because we long to be a people who don't just know about you, but who truly know you. It's in the perfect name of your Son that we pray all these things. Amen.